Charles Spurgeon once said something beautifully picturing God's desire for the relationship between a husband and a wife. He said, Woman was not taken out of man's head to lord over him, or from his feet to be trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected by him, and from near his heart to be loved by him. Last week we looked at the husband's responsibility to the marriage. And in doing so, I mentioned the vows that most men took when they were married. So today we're talking about the wives. So I want to ask the wives. I want to remind them of the vows you took when you were married. When you were married, you likely vowed something like this. To, to love him and comfort him. To honor him and keep him in sickness and in health. Forsaking all others. Keeping yourselves only unto him so long as you both shall live. You vowed to have him and to hold him for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part. And those vows are pretty common to most Christian ceremonies. But as wives, I ask you as I did the husbands, how many of you really thought about what you were vowing to do on that day? How many of you thought about or beyond the I do when you said these words? How many of you thought about the wedding or the, the marriage and not just the wedding. These are actually vows, promises that you make before God to your spouse, to your husband. So they are meant to be kept. They are not just pretty words that are meant to be repeated. They are meant to mean something in our lives. And scripture teaches what I do is supposed to mean so you can be a godly wife. So open your Bible to Ephesians 5. Verses 21 through 33 is what we're going to look at today. It should be page 898 in your pew Bible. And when you find them, I ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. So here's what Scripture says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be a body without be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. We are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife that she reverence or respect her husband. The title of the message this morning is Being a Godly Wife. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of my praise and worthy of our devotion. And we come with a desire to learn, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be all that you would have us to be. Father, I pray for the marriages in our church that they would be pictures of 
the love that Christ has for His church, that they would be strong and healthy. They would be built on Christ and bonded with their love for one another. I pray husbands would fulfill their roles, wives would fulfill their roles, children would rise up in our church that live for Jesus and know Jesus and devote their lives to doing His will wherever He would send them. I pray, God, that You would protect the marriages of our church and You would not let the enemy get in to bring strife or division or adultery or divorce in any of the marriages of our church, that our all of our families, Lord, will be strong and healthy and God-honoring in all that they do and how they perform and how they deal with one another. God, today as we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, God, it is really contrary to what our culture would teach. It is very controversial in that respect. And so, Lord, we're going to need you to help us to lay aside any preconceived notions we may have and to let your word and your spirit speak for itself so that we would not add to your word, we would not take away from your word, but we would just stand where you have spoken and do what you have said. Fill me with your spirit today. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and guide me that I would say only what you want said. I would say it in the way you want it said and that you would be glorified in all. We ask all this in the mighty name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, last week I mentioned in this, I said, okay, with this passage, if you're, or today, if you're a, a man, you may say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, this passage can show you as a husband, can show you what you can do to help your wife be what God wants her to be. If you're a single lady, this shows you the kind of wife you're supposed to be. If you're a wife, this shows you the kind of wife you're supposed to be. If you're a single man, this shows you the kind of woman you should look for in your life. Because what we see in this passage, these are God's responsibilities, God's expectations of every wife in the room today. And everyone who will be a wife at some point in the future. If you are to be godly wives, you must fulfill the God-given responsibilities that are revealed in Scripture. So, godly wives fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their husbands. So, if you're here, probably you want to be godly. And this is how you, what you have to do. You have to fulfill these responsibilities. And they're not my idea. I, I didn't spend the week and come up with ten things I think every wife ought to do. Instead, this is in one particular passage that is God having spoken. The things that we're going to talk about today, I'm not going to take what Scripture says and try to have some sort of funky meaning to it. It is God-given and it is Scripture revealed. You are absolutely free to test everything I say today against Scripture. No one ever in our church is ever going to be told, take it blindly. Just go with what I say. Scripture says, despise not the prophesying, test all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. So you are welcome to test everything I say against what Scripture says. Now, let me say with that. If you think I'm wrong, come to me and talk to me. I am open and I am here and you can do that. But... If you're going to come and disagree with what I teach, you come with Scripture. Don't come telling me what a psychologist said. Don't come telling me what a social media influencer said. Don't come telling me, well, in my opinion, because none of those things matter. As disciples of Jesus, this is what matters. 
So if you're going to disagree with me, you disagree with you disagree with me with Scripture. You come to me saying Scripture says, and here's what it should mean. Don't come with anything else, any other authority outside of Scripture, because I don't care. Scripture is what matters. It's what matters with what we talked about last week with the husbands. It's what matters with what we talk about today with the wives. And it's what matters when we talk about next week with parents and children. So these are Scripture revealed responsibilities that wives have to their husbands. And it starts off in a most exciting way. Submit to your husband. There is not likely any subject in the Bible quite as volatile as the subject of wives submitting to their husbands. It is not politically correct. It is not culturally correct. At times it is not even acceptable to teach or to talk about. And I think by and large there are three reasons for this. One, is that at times this passage has been used to oppress women. It has been used to justify physical and verbal abuse. It has been used to explain all marital problems as a result of wives not being submissive. Hogwash. Simply not the case. And a misuse of scripture has made it difficult for some to embrace. Another reason is probably has to do with the incessant jokes made by husbands about wives needing to submit. Now, I will say with this, I have heard many men make these sort of jokes. And in my experience, those that joke about this the most fulfill their God-given responsibilities the least. I despise those kind of jokes. I was raised by a strong woman that I respect. I'm raising daughters to be strong women who are worthy of respect. And I find those sort of jokes to be demeaning and insulting. And they have no place in the life of a disciple of Jesus. And then a final reason. And this is just if we're being honest. Is the pride and sinful nature of the wife who says... I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. The idea of submitting to anyone strikes against our sinful nature. It strikes against our pride. And this isn't just for wives. It strikes against it for me when the Bible says in verse 21, submit yourselves to one another unto God. That is hard for me as a human being to do. And so one of the reasons... This passage is so despised and so pushed against. It is that many wives who don't like it are led and controlled by their sinful nature more than the Spirit of God. Now since the issue of wives submitting to husbands is often such a problematic issue, there are two common approaches to it. First is to dodge the issue. And the verses that mention it all together. Right? Just skip over them and jump straight to children obey your parents. All the adults are going to like that passage next week. And that's what happens in a lot of times. They ignore it because it makes us uncomfortable. It could cause problems. Somebody could get mad and leave the church over it. It's not culturally acceptable. It's not socially acceptable. This doesn't fit, so we skip it. Another approach is to dismiss it. And to say things like, well, things have changed. The world is different. 
old, outdated ideas like this just don't apply anymore. One of the keys in properly understanding Scripture is to learn to distinguish between cultural issues and supercultural issues. See, as, as disciples of Jesus, we're not allowed to just dismiss the stuff we don't like. The stuff that we find challenging, the stuff that strikes against our, our thoughts, our beliefs, our ideas. We're, we're not allowed to do that. We're, we're not allowed to just skip it and say, I don't like it, so it's not fair. And we're not allowed to just say, well, the world is different, so we can't do it. So we always have to wrestle with these passages. What does it mean? Does it apply? Because there are some issues in Scripture that are what we would call cultural issues. They apply to the people to whom they were written at the time, but they don't apply straight across the board to all people in all places at all times. But some things are what's called a supra-cultural issue. And that means it transcends time and space and culture. That it was relevant to the people it was initially written to. It's relevant a hundred years ago. It's relevant today. And if the world goes on for another hundred years, it will still be relevant then. So how do we determine? Especially something controversial like this. One way is to say, is this passage, is this teaching repeated in other books of the Bible that were addressed to a different people in a slightly different culture? Well, the answer for this is yes. The command for wives to submit to their husbands is not found just in Ephesians. Some version of it is also found in Colossians, in Titus, and in Peter. Another way is to see if the teaching is connected to something that in and of itself transcends culture. Is the connection do this because is that something bigger than the culture of the day? Well, the answer again is yes. Look at verse 23 and 24. Well, 22. Wives, submit to yourselves and your own husbands. What? As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. So just as the church submits to Christ, so the wife submits to her husband. And so long as Jesus is the head of the church, and the church submits to him, so the husband is the head of the home, and the wife must submit to her husband. That transcends culture. The command for wives to submit to their husbands, it passes on both counts. It is a supracultural issue applicable to all disciples of Jesus in all places and all times, even in Guyman, Oklahoma in 2020. Since this is the case, we've got to find out what it means. We've got to know so we can live it out. Before I explain what it means, let me take a minute and just say some things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean women are inferior to men. It doesn't mean women are less intelligent than men. It doesn't mean women are less spiritual than men. It doesn't mean women are second class citizens in the kingdom of God. It also doesn't mean something that's often been made to me. Often submit has been made to mean primarily and only obey. 
And yet that's not always what it means. Now many times when submission is discussed, that is what it's made to mean, and that alone. And what they say by it is a wife should obey her husband. This is actually too narrow of a meaning for what the word submit actually means. Submission, in general terms, is to willingly place someone and their needs and their wants and their desires ahead of your own. Now that desire, or that that teaching, that idea to put others ahead of yourself, that's certainly not foreign to Scripture. That is a very common teaching. It is something all disciples of Jesus are meant to do. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to submit to every other disciple of Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to put others ahead of themselves, each and every one of us. But, with that, there is a special commission from God to wives to do this for their husbands. Now, there are two false assumptions made about the idea of submit. Men make one, women make the other. I've often heard men say or apply, this verse teaches all women should be submissive to all men in all places and all times. That's a very common teaching, particularly 50, 100 years ago. And yet when you look at Scripture... It's not actually what it says, is it? But it doesn't say women submit to men. It says wives submit yourselves unto what? Your own husband. For the husband is the head of the wife. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands. So there is essentially only one man in the whole world that a wife is required to be submissive to in a special way. And that is her husband. It's not her co-worker, the man. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It's not any other man in the world except her husband. Because this does not teach. Women are inferior to men. Instead, it teaches wives should submit or must submit to the spiritual leadership of their husband in the home. The second mistake comes from women. And it goes something like this. I'll be a submissive wife when he starts loving me like Christ loves the church. In other words, her submission is dependent on his love. This too is an actor. If this was the case, then the same logic could be used by the husband. I will love her as Christ loves the church when she submits to me as unto the Lord. But a husband's love for his wife It's not dependent upon her submission to Him. It is a God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibility to her. Irregardless of her. And in the same way, a wife's submission to her husband is not dependent upon her husband. It is her God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibility regardless of her husband. Look at this to see it. Verse 21. Well, verse 21, all believers are to submit in the fear of the Lord, or some translations say in reverence to Christ. 
Verse 22, wives submit unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Verse 23, that it's a, a picture of the Christ headship over the church. Verse 24, that as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands. It is all of these verses, there is one common element. Christ. Submission is given because of devotion for Christ. And it is done as unto the Lord. Which again, that's not a foreign concept in Scripture. As ambassadors for Christ, who are we to serve when we're on the job or in the community or in anything we do? We are to do it as representatives of Jesus and unto the Lord. This is common for all people, but there is a particular burden, particular responsibility given to the wife. Now knowing your submission is done because of your devotion for Christ and is done unto the Lord is especially important. As I said, there are no qualifications given. Not for the husband in love, not for the wife in submission. Except she be your wife, except he be your husband. He doesn't have to be smart. He doesn't have to be good looking. He doesn't have to be wise. He doesn't have to be the spiritual leader as God has commanded him. And the hard thing is, he doesn't even have to be a believer. Look at what Peter says. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection or submission to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the lifestyle of their wives, while they behold your chaste lifestyle coupled with fear. And when Peter wrote that particular passage, Christianity was spreading faster among women than it was among men. Wives were converting to Christianity far ahead of their husbands. And the wives wanted to know, what do I do? Do I leave my unbelieving husband? Do I go away from this so that I can only be married to another Christian? Peter answers that question. And he tells them, if you want to win your husband to Christ, can you do so by being a godly wife who lives a godly life? The idea is their godly lifestyle would do more than their would do more to win their husbands to Christ than all the words they could ever say. There are wives in here this morning and you really want to see your husband won to Christ, but you don't know how to do it. This is the way. You live as a godly wife and let him see your godly life, and it will be a constant testimony to him about the importance and the necessity of Christ. Now notice Peter says if the husband does not obey the word. So while this would refer to non-Christians, it would also refer to husbands who may have made a profession of faith, who may have slidden back in their relationship with Christ, because that happens, right? They begin to fall back. What do we do? What do we do when the husband begins to fall away from church, fall away from Christ? Well, you, you still do the same thing. You live a godly life as a godly wife, and let them see how you live and what you do. And they may be one to Christ without the word. Listen, the power of a godly wife is amazing. I challenge you. Find me anywhere else in scripture where it says someone can be one to Christ without the word. Right? Because it's talking about the word, right? If they obey not the word, then they also be then they may also without the word be one. There's nothing else. 
There is nothing like the example of a godly wife living a godly life to testify to people the importance of Jesus. Besides praying, the best thing you can do to win your husband to Christ or to help him get back to serving Christ is to live out your relationship in front of him. Part of that relationship is to live as a submissive wife. Now let me show you quickly why this is not demeaning or oppressive as many already think it is. Look at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The relationship of a husband and wife is an example of Christ and the church. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus who live under the lordship of Jesus, are we oppressed? Are we demeaned in any way by submitting to Christ as He demands? No. So it wouldn't be demeaning or oppressing for husbands and wives to live like this as well. Also, remind yourself, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So husbands are to follow the example of Jesus and love their wives like Jesus loves the church. This is selfless, this is unquestioning, and this is sacrificial. As husbands do this and wives submit to themselves to the church, there is no, or submit themselves to their husbands, there is no picture of anyone seeking to assert their rights over the other. But there is no picture of one demeaning the other. There is no picture of one domineering the other. Instead, there is mutual love, mutual submission, leadership, and God's plan being fulfilled in the home. And that is the best way there is because it cannot be improved upon. As the husband loves the wife, as the wife submits to the church, the marriage will be strengthened, God will be glorified, the gospel will go out. And as Paul says in Colossians or in Timothy in Titus, it prevents the enemy from having a way to bring reproach upon the name of Christ. Godly wives fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their husbands, and this means submit to your wife, to your husband. Secondly, be unwavering in your commitment to your marriage. Look at verse thirty-one. And 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I mentioned this last week, but in the culture of the ancient world, boys and girls normally lived under the authority of their parents until they married. When they married, they left home to go somewhere else and start a family. The leaving of father and mother was symbolic of a change in priorities and loyalties. The husband's priority and loyalty was the wife. The wife's priority and loyalty was now her husband. If we were to go to Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, we would see this change of loyalty and priority was always God's plan. When you marry, all other human priorities, all other human loyalties become secondary to that of your spouse. That has always been what God intended for the home. And then once a husband and wife have come together to form this new family, there should be an unwavering commitment to the marriage. Now, Scripture does make concession 
for divorce under certain circumstances. But Jesus said in Mark two verse or Mark ten verses two through nine, this concession was only given because the hearts of the people were hard. God's plan, God's intention was that the marriage would be permanent. Now, God knows, though, there are inevitable problems because we are sinful, fallen people. Even if we are redeemed and being sanctified, we have issues. I have my own issues. Kelly has her own issues. When we come together, those issues collide. So what's supposed to happen? Every time we have issues, am I to leave Kelly and go find another wife and she to leave me and go find another husband? Or is what's supposed to happen? We work it out. We, we come to a place where we can fix it. And we deal with it. And we work our way through it. That was what was meant to happen. But some people's hearts were too hard. And they were unwilling to forgive. They were unwilling to change. They were unwilling to do what needed to be done to save their marriage. And so God allowed divorce. For a very few reasons. But that was not the plan. That was not the way it was meant to be. And the reason I'm bringing this up in this message is statistically wives file for divorce more often than men. Listen to a, the portion of an article I read several years ago. We ought to stop kidding ourselves about men, wrote Winnipeg talk show host John Collison in the, new, in the National Post last month. Whether it be biology or legacy of the publisher of Penthouse, when it comes to a troubled marriage, the male is more ready, more willing, and more able to bail. Mr. Collison epitomizes the popular view that it is the, mind who, the man who usually breaks up the family in a hot-blooded pursuit of a trophy wife for casual affairs. In reality, says a wave of new research, throughout most of North America, in North American history, wives have filed for divorce twice as often as husbands. The proportion of divorces initiated by women ranged about 60% for most of the 20th century and then climbed to about 70% in the late 1960s when no-fault divorces were introduced. So says a just-released study by law professor Margaret Bringing of George Mason University in Arlington, Virginia and Douglas Allen, economist at Vancouver Simon Fraser University. The researchers undertook one of the largest studies ever on divorce using 46,000 cases from four American states that keep statistics on which partner initiated the action. In addition to women filing twice as often, researchers found they are more likely to instigate separation and marriage breakups. So here's what often happens. The wife gives up on her husband and files for divorce. She gets tired of waiting on him to be the husband he's supposed to be. She gets decides he will never come around, and so she gives up on him and on the marriage. The article said theories abound as to why it is so often women who file. Janice Magnuson of Calvary, Calgary Divorce Mediator says she frequently sees women with unreal expectations of marriage and their partners. Women expect a prince charming, while men just want wife, sex, food, and a job. So what happens is many women marry a guy expecting he will change for the better. But what happens more often than not, is marriage makes him more of who he already is. Marriage rightly conveys a sense of acceptance 
of love and of you are what I want in life. And at marriage, we are telling those we love, we love them and we accept them as they are. I tell every couple who comes to me for premarital counseling, say, look at each other. Do you love them? And are you committed to them as they are right now? Or are you loving and committed to a future version of them? Because if you do not love them as they are, if you are not committed to them as they are, better to call off the marriage today than to go through with a marriage and file for divorce in years to come. Marrying someone for who you think they will be or who they think they should be is an unrealistic expectation and such a marriage is up for problems right from the start. The marriage is meant to be the, the epitome of loyalty and devotion to one another. We are not meant to give up on our marriages. We are meant to be committed to our marriages. Godly wives fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their husbands. And this means have an unwavering commitment to the marriage. And then thirdly, treat your husband with respect. Verse 33 says, Let, a, let everyone, this one particular love his wife as himself and the wife that she reverence or respect her husband. Ladies, you should always remember in a big way you determine how other people treat your husband. If you treat him with respect, most likely others will treat him with respect. If you treat him like he's stupid, most likely others will treat him like he's stupid. People look at how you treat your husband in public and they will base their view of him on your treatment of him. For if the closest person in his life doesn't respect him, then surely... He is not worthy of my respect. This will also apply to your children, to your extended family. I'm convinced when you find in-laws who treat the husband badly, it is usually because the wife treats him badly in front of them or the wife runs him down to them. Their treatment of your husband will almost always be a reflection of your treatment of your husband. It may not always be the case. But I think it will normally be the case. My mom's brothers were big rednecks. And I don't just mean they were big rednecks. I mean they were big old boys and they were rednecks. They were bigger than most men their sisters brought home. And they used that to their advantage. And they intimidated and they bullied the men my aunts brought home, my uncles. And they did that until my mom brought my dad home. And they tried that with him. And my mom asked dad to leave. And she had a yelling, screaming fit at her brothers. Telling them they would not treat her husband in that way. She didn't care what Joanne let you do to Eldridge, but you would not treat her husband. In that way. He was her choice. And by disrespecting him. You were disrespecting her. And by the time she was finished. My uncles treated my dad. With a great deal of respect. They never treated him badly. As they did the others. 
Ladies, if your family is rude and disrespectful to your husband, it is your responsibility to take up for him. It is your responsibility to go to your family and say, shut up, stop it, it's not acceptable. Do not make him endure that kind of treatment. Let your family know you do not appreciate the way you treat your husband. It's the same with children. When you find children who do not respect their dad, talk ugly about him, it is most often because they've heard mom talk ugly to him or about him. It is reprehensible for one spouse to run down their child, to run down their other their spouse to their children. I said this last week and I'm saying it again for the wives. Do not do anything to your husband you would not want done to you. Do not treat your husband in public in a way you would not want him to treat you. Before we say or do anything dealing with your husband, you should ask yourself, would it be funny if he did this to me? Would it be acceptable if he said this about me? And if not, then stop. Wives must respect their husbands. Godly wives fulfill their God-given responsibilities. There's God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities to their husbands. And this means treating your husband with respect. I want you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. As with the husbands, everything I talked about today is hard to do. It is hard for several reasons. Our sinful nature makes it hard. In Genesis, after sin came into the world, God said that the husband would rule over the wife, but her desire would be to rule over him. For many wives in here, your sinful nature is fighting against everything I've said this morning. You're finding loopholes and reasons and why it doesn't have to be. But that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's your sinful nature. Your sinful nature is not ever going to lead you to follow Scripture. The world is going to pull against you. If you go home and you Google, should wives submit to their husbands? There will be 40 billion responses and a good three quarters of them will be no. No, that doesn't mean that. That's old fashioned. That's outdated. The Bible is stupid. That's oppressive. But that's not God. God never inspires us to say, hath God said. That's the devil. Always has been. Always will be. And if you say, well, I'm... I'm going to submit to my husband. I'm going to prefer him above all others. I'm going to treat him with respect. The world will say, Wow. I didn't know I was in the 1950s when I was with you. They'll belittle you and they'll belittle your choices. But again, understand, that's not God. The world at large and the values of the world at large will never be consistent with Scripture. 
There is a decision we all have to make. What will be the authority in my life? My sinful desires? The devil who appeals to my flesh? Or the world around me? Or Scripture? If it is Scripture, then what I talked about with the husband last week is how you men must live. We men must live. If it is Scripture, then what I talked about today is how women, wives, must live. And it's hard. The Bible promises God will give us the desire to do His will and the ability to make it happen. The Holy Spirit within you is greater than your sinful nature. The Holy Spirit within you is greater than Satan's lies. The Holy Spirit within you is greater than the pull of the world. It's a matter of who you choose. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to open the altars to anyone who wants to come forward for any reason. But if you're a wife, and you need to spend time asking God to help you be the godly wife He has called you to be. You can come forward or you can pray where you are, but you spend this time seeking the Lord. If you need to apologize to your husband because you haven't been, then this is a time to take him and say, I'm sorry. Pray with me and pray I'll be what God wants me to be. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. God, living for you in this world is hard. The further this world gets from you, the harder it will be to live for you. Because the more out of step with culture we're going to be, and probably no way is this going to be more evident than the way we live in the home, the way husbands love their wives, the way wives do what you have said they should do. God, our job is not to conform to this world. It is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and, and live out Your will for our lives. So today, oh God, crush the sinful nature that's pushing back. Silence the enemy that's trying to deceive. And cut off our desire to fit in with the culture around us. Bless the wives in our church. Strengthen them in you to live out the responsibilities you've given them. Lord, let all of the marriages in our church be as we've seen as they should be. They would bring you glory. They would bring you honor. They would testify of just who you are and what you've done. Have your way in all of our hearts all of our lives and all things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.